0: Good morning, good morning, every nation. How are you doing? Great, well, it's good to see all of you, and especially those of you who are our guests today. Thank you for making us a part of your Sunday. really hope that you feel at home. We are on a three-week series entitled Within Reach. The whole point of the series is to remind us of God's mission for the church. And my job today is to share a message with you Uh, with you, entitled The Reason for the Mission. The Reason for the Mission. Um, This past week, I I had bronchitis, and a doctor told me I had to stay at home and stuff. Now, those of you who know me know I hate missing work. I love what I do. It is a privilege. And so for me to not come to work Takes a lot, but I decided this time that I was actually going to listen to my doctor, and so I stayed home. I found out actually that I've got a toaster I didn't know. You know, I found crockery that I didn't know we had. It was interesting uh, that I actually have a few things in my home. Um, I decided this week that I'm going to spend time just reading the Gospels. It's been a while since I've just read the Gospels, just with no other reason, just to read them uh, for myself. And as I was reading through the Gospels, I was amazed and reminded again of how familiar some of the circumstances they were going through were to my circumstances. You ever felt like Jesus was just way too Jewish to understand your problems? (laughs) you're like, Lord, no, listen, you you need to be more like me. If you were more like me, you would understand why I behave the way that I behave. The reason you can't get it is just, you're just way too Jewish. And I was reading some of the stuff and the, the context baffled me and encouraged me and challenged me. During Jesus' day, there was massive inequality, massive political corruption, massive religious corruption. During Jesus' day, there were women who were ostracized. There was a full-on hashtag MeToo movement, full-on. During Jesus' day, there were people who were exiled, Jewish people who came back into uh, Jerusalem, and when they tried to get into their homes, their home was gone, and they were shouting, screaming, man, we want our land back. There was poverty beyond what you can think or imagine. And there were a group of people who were so desperate for the renown of Jerusalem to return to Jerusalem. They had caps, banners. They would be singing around, marching, saying, make Jerusalem great again. All over, all over, people were crying out for something. There is nothing new under the sun. Nothing new. And Jesus, in the middle of all of that, he gives them one big idea as to what they need to do to respond to the reality of life in their culture. Here's what he says. He says, go make disciples. So counterintuitive. He, he, sh- he should have told them, go start a political party. He should have told them, go start a business so you can have money and you can, you can eradicate all the poverty in the world. He should have told them that. But he looks at them and he says, hey, in response to all of this, in response to every single thing that you are seeing around you, here's what you need to do. Go and make disciples. As I was going through prepping the sermon and reading the gospels, I began to see things in the gospel that I know, I've always seen them there, but it it kind of challenged me and I realized, man, I I need to, I've been doing something without realizing that I've been doing it. And I started repenting, but now I'm actually going to repent before you. Sometimes when I get up here to preach, I'm so mindful of how busy you are of how intense your life is, how troubled and the the, the weight that comes with leading a family, being a mother, being a child and being a student, that that sometimes if I had to be true to myself, I've I've kind of lessened what this word says you are called to do. Because a part of me is trying to free you from paying a price. And I find myself sometimes spending most of my time, man, dealing with people who are frustrated and have issues and they want to, instead of activating more people to mission because, you know, you're trying to make sure that everyone is okay. And and when it gets to this, I kind of slightly just dial it down for you so you don't have to feel condemned or burdened. And I've taken away your privilege of paying a price. I want to tell you today, um, I'm never going to do that again. I won't do that again because here's what I've decided. Here's what I've discovered, that there is no burden I can put on you because every single one of your burdens, spiritual, emotional, physical, every single one of those burdens, Christ says he has taken them from you. And he then says he's replaced those burdens with his burden, which is light and easy to carry. But I want you to understand what his burden being light and easy to carry looks like. It looks like opening your home to orphans. It looks like selling your house and living with the poor. It looks like packing everything away, selling everything, going to live in another nation so that people can hear the gospel. Jesus says all of that is light burden. And it's not a light burden because you are not sacrificing. It's a light burden because he's comparing it to what he sacrificed for you. And he said, I am placing on you my burden. It is so light. All it is, it's just going to take your life. It's going to take all your money, all your time, everything you have. It, but it's so light. Why? Because it's in comparison to my mercy and kindness. It's so light. But my job is to clarify for you the The beautiful burden that he wants to place on you. And you are able to carry it. It's actually meant to be joyful and light. Because he's taken the weighty burden of sin from you. One big idea. How do we respond in the world? It is to make disciples. Why does Jesus give us this commission in response to life? Two simple reasons I want to share about today. It is for his love and for his glory. It is very simple. For his love and for his glory. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew 28. This This is a scripture that we know very well. But I'm hoping that we can read it afresh today with ears, longing again to hear and respond to him asking us to go on mission. Out of respect for the word, do you mind if we stand and I'll share the, i read the scripture for you. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Amen. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that as your word today is being preached, that you would give us the grace to hear it and obey it for your glory. Amen. I told you that this week, I'm going to start by talking about his love. It's for his love. I mentioned to you that this week I had bronchitis. I don't like going to the doctor, Pastor David, but I had to go on Monday to the doctor. Now, I went to the doctor and I told the doctor, listen, there is a meeting on Wednesday. I don't care how sick I am. There is a meeting on Wednesday that I have to be at. Wednesday evening, please. I need to be at that meeting. Do whatever you possibly can to get me there. She said, no, you need to. I said, ma'am, Anything. She said, okay, I'm going to have to give you a couple of injections. I said, bring them. Let's go because I need to be at that meeting. So that's what it is. So they put me in a room, Right, It's a small little room. And there was an intern who had come there. She's ready, you know, to help me out. So I'm like, hey, how are you doing? You know, I'm ready for the needle. And, and I, I, I'm rolling up my sleeve, you know. And I see that she's got like three liquid things there. I'm like, oh, no, three. No, no, no. Mix those. Put those into one. No, no. Uh, put those into one, so she did syringe them and I'm chatting to her yo, you know, Jesus, you don't know, fine and as I'm doing this, she goes, no, no, no you have to pull down, when's the last time you had to pull down your pants when's the last time you had 10 years I've been married, I've had to pull down no pants And now listen, please understand literally I'm calling my wife, I'm like, listen, I'm not cheating but I have to pull down my pants (laughs) (laughs) And it so happened to be one of those days, you know, there's some days where you wake up and you don't feel the need to, to Vaseline every part of your body. I'm just, I don't, you know what I'm talking, cause you, cause you have to get the kids ready. So you just quick face, you know, you're out. So now, I didn't know whether to apologize for my ashiness, but I'm out there, it's half it's like this, I'm holding on here, I'm on the phone with my wife here, cheek is out, this lady is laughing, she, she's coming. I said, listen, I have to see you, move this way, I mean, make sure I see you. And as she moves this way, she's holding the syringe like a dot. I said, listen, that's not how you handle this bounty. no, 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 let me teach you how to handle this. You, you need to accuracy and finesse. Two hands. Don't come with no one hand. <laughs> and, and eventually, after a while, man, they injected me. It was embarrassing. <laughs> but I went to my Wednesday meeting. I did. It, it was great. The Wednesday meeting was awesome. And ever since then, I've woken up every day and I've vaselineed every single part. I, I will never again allow the enemy to, to steal my joy. You cannot, you cannot be what you were called to be. You are in desperate need. Of the injection of the gospel Amen. to actually allow you to be who you are meant to be, to get where you are meant to get to. It is this gospel that picks you up from the ground, allowing you to never look down on anyone because you know what it's like to be picked up from the Murray clay. Therefore, when the gospel really is at work at you, you cannot look down on any other individual because you were picked up by the gospel. You were not able. You, you were incapable of picking yourself up. The gospel doesn't just pick you up, but it takes you up into the highest place. Amen. And in this highest of places, you then get to be called a child of God. Think about it. It is at this place that Tim Keller says that you cannot be afraid of anything because the supreme being of all of life says you are mine. He picked you up from the lowest place. That's You'll you never look down on anyone and then he raised you to the highest place. Therefore, you cannot be scared of anyone. There's a boldness that comes to you because you belong to someone. You you have been loved by someone. It is this gospel that, that, that fills us with the love of God. 1 John 3 verse 1 says this. It says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it does not know him. There's a great book by a guy by the name of Daniel Gardner. He wrote a book called The Science of Fear. And he wrote about, partly, about 9-11. In 2001, 9-11, and the states got crashed. And, and he spoke about a research that they did whereby from 2001 to 2002, in the span of one year about 1,500 people who would normally fly died on the road while driving. Because out of sheer fear, they chose to do what they normally wouldn't do. They were gripped by fear. They rode on the road and they died. Right now in your life, you are living based on what grips you. Right now. Whatever it is that you're doing, whatever it is that you're going through, whatever it is that the way that you're thinking, the way that you're acting, the way that you're living is a direct reflection of the thing that grips you the most. And Paul in 2 Corinthians uh, 2 verse, verse 5 or 2 Corinthians 12 verse 5, he says something powerful. He says, I have been gripped by love. It is the only way I can explain to you why my life is the way it is. Because it has been gripped, it has been taken over, it has been consumed by love. As a result, I can only but do love to everyone else. What grips you? If this gospel is going to touch people's lives, you have to be gripped by love. And when you are gripped by love, you begin to ooze that which has gripped you. Ivan Illich is a man who was asked a question, he was having an interview, and someone said to him, Ivan, how do you change a society? Do you change a society by violent revolution, or do you change a society by gradual reform? And his response was powerful. He says, neither of those things change society. And he says, the only thing that changes society is an alternative story. The gospel is the alternate story. There is no other story that can change culture except for the gospel. Your story, as as, as eloquent and beautiful, amazing as your story it is, it can't change culture. And by the way, when you got saved, Jesus didn't just purchase you, but he purchased your story. Therefore, it is illegal for you to speak about your life without giving him praise. Hear me. It is illegal for you to go through suffering without pointing to him and saying, Jesus is Lord of my life. It is illegal for you to to go through success and not depend on the mercy of God because he has purchased your story. Your story doesn't belong to you anymore. He has chosen to take it. And in him taking your story, he has chosen to infuse it with the alternate story of life that you now are called to share. It is this story. That demonstrates the love of God to the nations. Amen. It is the story that the nations need to hear right. for change to happen. The word disciple is the word methodist. That word literally means an apprentice, a student, a learner. In in, in Jesus' day, when when someone was a Methodist, they would follow a rabbi. They would follow the rabbi so closely that they actually had a Hebrew saying, which used to say, may may the sand from your rabbi's feet touch your head. May you be so close to your rabbi that when your rabbi walks, eh, eh, his sandals will just flick some sand and it will grace your hair. That's how close a Methodist was to his rabbi. And the whole connotation of a Methodist is simply this. When a Methodist thinks through what they need to do today, they ask themselves, what would my master do? And then they do that. So Jesus says, listen, here's how I want to demonstrate my love to the nations. I want to get Methodists. I want to get a people who are so close to me, who are so willing to reflect who I am, and I want them to teach other people how to be close to me and reflect who I am. And as you do that, my love, my heart will spread throughout the nations. And the nations will taste of my goodness. Isaiah 61 is a powerful text and th- this text kind of dovetails this whole when, when we belong and we are filled with the love of God. He then releases us to ooze that love into all the world. Here's what it says. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. I dare you to wake up every morning and say that to yourself. I dare you to look in the mirror when, you, when you're feeling tired, when you feel like you don't have it all fixed, when you feel like somehow things are not going to work out for you. I dare you to just look in the mirror. Get yourself right and say, the spirit of the Lord is on me today. And he has anointed me. He hasn't just anointed me that I might attend the service, but he has anointed me to proclaim. And now it begins to flesh out physically what this love now is going to look like in the world. That it's going to look like a proclaimed news. It's going to look like a people sent who are now binding people's hearts who have been brokenhearted. It's going to look like freedom coming to people who are captive. It's going to look like a release of darkness for the prisoners. It's going to look like proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor for those who are mourning. In other words, when you walk into a situation that is broken, that you meant to come in and say favor has arrived. That the story of the king has arrived. This situation... Doesn't have to stay this way because favor has rocked up in your life. Next verse, and provide for those who grieve in Zion, and to bestow on them a crown of beauty. I like this part. I say, a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. A disciple, a Methodist, goes into a life of despair and brings an alternate story that brings a garment of praise. Goes into a life of mourning, brings an alternate story of the gospel that brings the oil of joy. Brings an alternative story in the midst of ashes that actually brings a crown of beauty. You are called to be a disciple who makes disciple. The reason Why we are called to be on mission is so that the love of God that has filled us might now permeate all the nations. That every single nation would know that he loved them enough to send his son. Second point. It is for his glory. It is for his glory. We see life very differently to, to God. In fact, in 1 Corinthians, it says this about the way we see things. It says, we see only a reflection as in a mirror. We, we see dimly through a glass. Then, when we get to eternity, man, we shall see his face. We shall see face to face. We shall see more fully. Now I know in part, but then I shall know in full, even as I am fully known. We see things in part. So when, when, when Jesus gives us a, command or a commission, like go and make disciples, we go, there. there's no way that this is it. There must be more to this than just this. Why? Because we, we see in part. It's kind of like when, I don't know if you remember a guy called Joshua. Joshua has just started leading the nation of Israel, got a whole army with him ready to go. God has told them, listen, Joshua, you guys have got some giants that you're going to have to fight. It's going to be battle time. So guys are going to Virgin Active, Planet Fitness. They're getting ready, punching up, some going to CrossFit. Everybody's ready. They're training arms, got their guns going. Everybody ready for battle. And here comes a time. They need to go and take Jericho. They have to. They must. It is a call. And when they get to Jericho, God says, all right, listen, here's how I want you to take this battle. I want you to sing a couple of songs, walk around a few times, and when I tell you to shout, shout. Joshua goes, what? (laughs) Joshua, listen, here's what I want you to do. I want you to sing a couple of songs. I want you to walk around a few times. When I tell you to shout, I want you to shout, Joshua. Listen, Joshua is thinking to himself, this doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense, but because you said it, I, I get it. I, I, I know you told me I need to take the spell, and I know it doesn't make sense what you're calling me to do, but I'm just going to do it. The cats start marching out. Belinda and the crew, they start coming out. They're blowing trumpets and stuff. Everybody's marching. Everybody's marching. It's, and while they're marching, everyone's looking at Joshua like, yo, homie, are you crazy? What's going on? Everyone's marching out. They're singing weird songs and stuff like that. And they go to bed. Everyone's freaking out. Man, this is the worst strategy ever. (laughs) They carry on doing it. They carry on marching. They carry on marching and singing. They keep on doing that which is counterintuitive. But because he said it, they keep on doing it. And all of a sudden, day seven came. And out of nowhere... God says, all right, give a shout, give a praise right now. They began to shout and cracks began to form in the walls of Jericho. Cracks didn't form because it was of their power. Cracks formed because of praise. Listen to me, cracks formed in the enemy's camp because of praise. And the only reason why God would want, him to, would want them to do that is because he wants them to know that they will receive no glory for this victory. All the glory is his. Hear me. The reason why God God gives you the solution of making disciples and it feels so counterintuitive to you is because he knows that you would take the glory if it was anything else. That that actually in making disciples, he, he actually gives you the one commission that is a domino effect to everything. So that at the end of the day, he gets the glory. There's a guy in the New Testament. His name is Stephen. You know the whole story in the New Testament, that there were widows in the church. and um, the whole context, by the way, of that story in, in Act 7 is the life expectancy in the early church for males was about 45 years old. For women, it was about 32, 35. And women would get married very young. They were in their teens when they would get married, and they would get married to 40-year-olds. So as a result, the husbands would die way faster, and the church was filled with young children who had no fathers and widows who had no husbands. That was a context. And because of that context, then the church rose up and go, man, we need to do something about this. Here's what I love about the story. The apostles, the leaders of the church, they go, hey, guys, why don't you pick amongst yourselves who should take care? Of the widows, I always know that I am doing a bad job as a pastor when you come to me to do something. Because if I'm doing a, the right job, you should be empowered to go out into the world and make a difference. You, you shouldn't be depending on me to do something for the nation that you are called to do. Amen. Because you see, the, the church is a building and a body. It is rigid and fluid. It is an institution and a movement. Uh, you, you have to be both. There's a fact that we come here together and we are one body. We are one, we are one building. We are one family. But when we go out, he inspires you. I love the scripture in the Old Testament that says the spirit will come behind you and you will say, go this way and you will go. That disciples, methodists, all for the glory of God, when they go out into the world, are meant to be like yeast in dough. They're meant to actually infiltrate all of life and culture as a movement and not dependent on a pulpit, not dependent on a structure to do for them what they have been empowered to do. Stephen. This guy was legend. He was, he was powerful, he was great, full of the Holy Spirit. He, he starts doing signs and wonders. He is sharing the gospel, he's sharing the love of God to all these people. And they begin to persecute him. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and he saw the glory of God. And Jesus, standing at the right hand of God, look! He said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out into the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. Now watch this. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord, Lord Jesus, you you receive my spirit. But here's the, here's the kicker. When you see the glory, things change. Well, because he saw the glory, he was able to say what he, will, what he said next. He's getting stoned. He sees the glory. And in the middle of all of that, because he's seen the glory, he says, Lord, listen, I want you to, to not hold this against these guys. You can't say that without seeing something of Glory. He said, Lord, listen, I, I need these guys to be forgiven by you because man, they they need to see this glory. They stoning me, they're beating me. But Lord, they, they need to see this glory. Listen, Toby, you have to see the glory. Because nothing else will change. If you don't see the glory, you yourself, in order for you to change, in order for you to move from worship to witness, you must be so enamored by the glory that nothing is willing to tear you down from where the king is calling you to go. Last four months uh, have been hmm, probably one of the craziest uh, times of, of my life at least. I don't know if I've gone through as much warfare as, as I have in my family. And the last three weeks have been particularly interesting. Three weeks ago, we buried uh, my wife's cousin who fell from a three-story building. She, she died. She was 28 years old. Um, yesterday, in the middle of preparing this sermon, I get a call from my wife that her brother who had uh, liver failure, he died yesterday. And you know, you you leave the sermon, you go home and you're trying to figure that out and stuff. But I I was thinking about it this morning that um, life is short, guys. Life is short. You know, we can have all the best sermons in the world. We can come to all the best Sunday services. We can feel good. But I'm telling you, when it's all said and done, the question that will remain is, did your life make sense in light of eternity? Yeah. When, you, when, you, when you go home today, you take care of your kids. When you try and figure out what you're going to do, your work, when you see people poor, see people successful, you're trying to figure out how you're going to pay your bills, the biggest question, will your life make sense when you cross the threshold of eternity? Your life must make sense. The only way it can make sense is if you live for the reason of the mission, which is for his love and for his glory. Other than that, it just won't make sense. Daddy, thank you for the privilege of your word, for the privilege of your call. Lord, as I close, I, I am asking you to come into our lives again. Remind us of this. Let it be, be, be kept in our souls, branded in our hearts for your sake. If you're here today and you know, man, that you, you haven't allowed this story of God becoming man, living, dying, and being resurrected, You haven't allowed the story to take over your story. You haven't responded by saying, Jesus, I want to follow you with all of my life. Or you have fallen away and you know that today you need to respond back and say, Lord, thank you. I want to give my life to you today. I want to belong to you. I want to experience this love that was spoken about today. If that's you and you want to give your life to him today, would you be bold enough to put up your hand So we might pray for you and stand with you. Anyone here who's saying, that's me? Anyone here? Amen, Cece. Anyone here? Anyone else? Amen, Cece. See you there at the back. Don't let this moment pass you by. Grab a hold of it. Grab a hold of it if that is you. Just to lift up your hand right now and just say, that's me. Amen. But we're going to pray. Church, can I ask that we stand? Uh, we have two ladies, brave ladies, who raised up their hands. Do you mind joining me here in the front for a moment? Don't worry, we're not going to embarrass you. We just want to pray for you. Let's clap for them for a moment. Hey. Hey. Come on, let's clap for them. Hey. let stand right here. All right, we're going to do a short prayer, but we're going to be praying this prayer with you. If you wouldn't mind praying this prayer after me. Lord Jesus, today I give my life to you. I confess you as Lord and Savior of my life. Thank you, Lord, that today I am changed. I will never be the same. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen.